We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to an off-season edition of the Road to Wire NBA podcast. Nick Whalen back with Alex Barutha. It's Thursday, July 14th. And uh, Alex, roughly 40 minutes ago, we, we finally maybe appear to have a domino falling uh, in the uh, kind of slow period of NBA free agency and trade season as we still await a potential Kevin Durant move, a potential Kyrie Irving move, a potential Donovan Mitchell move. But before all of this, we may have DeAndre Ayton on the move uh, as the Phoenix Suns now have 48 hours to match the largest offer sheet in NBA history. The Indiana Pacers uh, have agreed with Aiton or at least signed him to a $133 million max offer sheet. Uh, we've, we've talked about this possibility on the pod before. We, we didn't necessarily know that it was going to be the Indiana Pacers, but as other teams like Charlotte and Detroit uh, kind of indicated via their draft that maybe they weren't as interested in DeAndre Aiton it does seem like Indiana kind of became the team of focus of late. And finally they bit the bullet and, you know, within a day and a half year, DeAndre Ayton might be an Indiana Pacer, uh, but Woj now indicating that uh, the Phoenix Suns will likely uh, match this offer and, and potentially, you know, try to trade DeAndre Ayton down the road. However, he can't be traded until mid January if they match. So this doesn't necessarily preclude the Phoenix Suns from trading for Kevin Durant, but it at least puts that possibility on hold for a while. Yeah, I mean, even even though the relationship between Aiden and the Suns seems pretty broken uh, and not great, it would just be it would be devastating to lose Aiden for nothing, like just to lose that asset for absolutely nothing. I, I feel like if you're the Suns, you have to just bite the bullet. You have to match the offer and then deal with it later, whether or not it's for KD. It could be for someone else entirely. Um, it's just even if you get 50 cents on the dollar. Uh, it's better than losing him for nothing. So I feel like if you're the Suns, you're just kind of... And I think this is how they were playing it all along, right? Uh, to some yeah. extent, which was just like, this is why we this is why we didn't uh, extend him right away. We want to see what he got, and then we'd match it if we, if, you know, if we could. Right. I think if you're Phoenix and you were prepared to sign Aiton to a max or a near max, this is essentially the 
go find an offer sheet and come back to us scenario that a lot of people thought could transpire here. And, you know, you, you hit on it, like the relationship between Aiden and the Suns and the frustration, uh, you know, that a deal didn't get done sooner, I, I think is the, the interesting part of this. I, I think Phoenix would be wise to match this offer sheet, although, you know, that would plunge them deeper into the luxury tax. And, and obviously that's always been a sticking point for that organization. Without that factor, it seems like a pretty obvious match. Um, you know, you're, you're basically running it back with last year's team. And, you know, until game seven uh, of the second round, we thought that was the title favorite. So it's not, it's not like you're, you're bringing Aiton back to a sinking ship. Like this is still going to be a very good team. And, and like I said, you know, if it doesn't work out or, or even if it does and you, you want to shake things up, you still do have the possibility of trading him later. But like for me, it, it's, it's hard to imagine the possibility of Durant beginning the season with the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, I, I guess with each passing day that becomes more and more realistic, but uh, I, I guess I, I'm in some ways surprised that Phoenix maybe wasn't a little more aggressive in trying to explore all Durant avenues uh, before, you know, a team like Indiana jumped at this opportunity and, and is now in some ways, you know, kind of backed Phoenix into a corner. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I don't know if Brooklyn, I mean, if you're Brooklyn, is like is Aiton and Bridges and picks? Is that does that feel like enough? I mean, I feel like if you were like I like Aiton, but I think there is definitely. I mean, clearly, at least in the in the NBA, by you know general managers, there's some disconnect or disagreement about whether or not he's actually a max player, or else we wouldn't have seen um, like teams like Detroit and Charlotte, like you mentioned, just fill up their cap space, not worry about it. We'll kick the can down the road and find someone uh, someone else. So I kind of wonder if Brooklyn even really wants DeAndre in that bad, if they feel like they could just find someone else. Um, but the the Durant trade market in general is is kind of a disaster and impossible to figure out because he has his list of teams he wants to go to. Um, if he doesn't go to those teams, is he going to be happy? How much are teams willing to give up? He's aging, the Achilles, stuff like that. So for me, it's really hard to gauge. I mean, if I'm Phoenix, I'll, I'd offer that. But um, I'm not sure how how desperate Brooklyn is to take that, especially with Durant having a, you know, four more years on his deal. It totally depends what Brooklyn wants to do in the short term. You know, are you trying to mitigate the draft capital that you're sending out to teams like Houston? You know, do you want to be good or do you, you know, in, in inheriting, you know, some of these other picks in the deal, like, are, are you trying to build on the fly? Like they're, they're kind of stuck in such a weird position, not owning their own draft picks where normally in a situation like this, um, you'd be essentially doing what Utah is doing, right? And sending out all of your good players, bringing back young players, bringing back draft capital, accepting that you're going to be a really bad team for a couple of years and hoping that you hit on a couple of draft picks and you go from, you know, presently a, a very good team before trading guys like Mitchell and Gobert to a really, really good title contending team, um, you know, by loading up in the process. But Brooklyn, they're, I have no idea how they want to handle this. Like they seem to want to be competitive, but if you're if you're eventually going to trade Kyrie Irving and bring back uh, like a Russell Westbrook package, that's certainly not going to help you. Um, and you know, it, I, I, it's hard for me to imagine like a Ben Simmons, McCall Bridges, DeAndre Ayton core. Like, I mean, that team right. might be terrible, but I mean, that team that's not that's not like a great team by any means. I mean, that's still a team that's probably fighting for a play-in spot. It's just a really bizarre team, you know, because then you're you're getting back into the mix of like putting. Ben Simmons with a traditional center and you know, how, what are you projecting Mikel Bridges for? Like, are we pretty sure that he's just kind of like a third, like maybe like a fourth guy offensively? Um, Like, is it even worth like having him on a rebuilding team other than to flip him? I, 
I don't know. Yeah, they're whatever they're doing. I I just don't know, man. I guess there's always the possibility that they just don't like any offer and they kind of just run it back and I, I don't know, try to make these guys figure it out. I kind of doubt it because that's not really how things happen in the NBA. But you're right. It's just like none of these trade combinations are perfect. None of them are going to result in a perfect solution. And um, it probably would just be easier for them to start taking huge discounts on Kyrie and Durant. And maybe you even try to trade Simmons, uh, Joe Harris's contract, who knows, and just fully rebuild to get as many draft picks as possible. It's just it's such a unique situation, pretty unprecedented that it's hard to gauge at all. So we touched on Ben Simmons briefly. I think that, you know, it's very much wishful thinking for anyone who's counting on Ben Simmons to return to being an all-star, excuse me, all-star, can't even say it, I'm so flustered, an all-star caliber asset, especially this coming season. Like, he's young enough that whatever he's been dealing with, I I think he can get past it eventually. But don't you think, like, part of the reason that that Durant and Irving have indicated that they want out is that, you know, they have no faith in Ben Simmons being the third guy? Like, obviously, they're not going to come out and say that. You're not going to trash a player who's, you know, admitted that he's dealing with, with mental health issues. But... To me, reading between the lines, like that's part of this. Like if, if they were practicing with Ben Simmons and Ben Simmons looked amazing, I don't know that these guys would would be wanting out. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm still like a Ben Simmons optimist in general, even though I probably shouldn't be. But you, I think you're right, where it's just if if he looked, if they had any faith in him whatsoever, um, I'm sure they could look at it and be like, hey, you know, maybe we can actually do this. Like maybe we can be competing for an NBA finals. I Again, and we don't even know how much the relationship between Durant and Kyrie is affected because on one hand, it seems like Kyrie opts in and then Durant's like, just get me out of here because Kyrie opted in. I can't stand this guy for one more year. And then on the other hand, you hear reports saying that Durant and Kyrie are willing to play together again on the same team. So I don't even know if they like each other or not. Um, so it's just very, it's just, a, it's just like a lot of personal drama. Um, well, and then on which, top of that, there's a report yesterday that, it's like, well, Kyrie Irving never actually asked for a trade. And if you read, that was from Brian Lewis at the, the New York Post. I, I feel like we've cited him as much as anybody uh, in player yeah. notes dating all the way back to like 2012. But there was a weird report. Like the headline makes it seem like, oh, maybe Kyrie wants to go back. And then you read the report and it's just from essentially this anonymous league source who's like, well, Kyrie never actually said that. Uh, I think it's pretty clear where he stands in, in this matter. Uh, but, you know, we, we've gotten completely sidetracked. We, we started talking about DeAndre Ayton and the Pacers and have somehow ended up on, on Ben Simmons and the Nets. But <laughs> let's let's say that Phoenix doesn't match this offer sheet. You know, they, they don't want to pony up. They they just don't like DeAndre, whatever it is. But what do you think about the potential fit here? Because Indiana, even if they expect, you know, Phoenix to, to match this offer sheet and, and you're just kind of doing this to, uh, you know, force a, a rival team into a tough decision, you're obviously prepared for the possibility that DeAndre Ayton might join your roster and you know, I, I don't love the cost. I, I, I think I'm a little bit lower on DeAndre Ayton long-term uh, comp- compared to a lot of people. But uh, obviously, if this happens, you would imagine that they're going to seek a Miles Turner trade a lot more aggressively. Uh, but you know, uh, going forth with a core of DeAndre Ayton, uh, you know, going into what, his, his fifth NBA season uh, on a four-year uh, max deal, Tyler, Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Matherin, you know, as, your, as your young big three, like, you could do worse than that. Yeah, Buddy Heald is is good. I mean, he's going to be he's Buddy Heald is good. Um, he's going to be one of the the top five players ever and made three pointers at the end of his career. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Uh, he's he's not they, good. He's great. They they have they have Duarte as well. Um, like they have some guys. I actually 
so I'm I'm with you on Aiden. Um, I'm not like that high on him. I think some of it, I, I don't want to say like Chris Paul is like entirely responsible for Aiton being good. Cause that's ridiculous. Um, but I mean, you look at the, his numbers before and after Chris Paul got there and there's like a 10, almost a 10% difference in Aiton's field goal percentage from like 2019, 20 to last year. Um, but I, I kind of, and the, the fit, I guess you could shift miles Turner over to power forward which I guess is not ideal, but is also kind of intriguing. It's a little bit like the Carl Anthony Towns at power forward situation, like Mobley at power forward next to Jared Allen, another team kind of going big. It's not perfect, but it's not a disaster. Um, and then, you know, I, I assume they try to trade him anyway, but, um, you know, we've seen this before for the Pacers, right? The Pacers don't like to, they don't like to bottom out completely. So I think for them, this is just a way for them to be like, well, look, we have a very good, if, if assuming we get Aiden, we now have a very strong baseline of good young players and we won't be bad. Like we probably won't be great. We might be a playing team, but we won't be bad. We won't win like 30 games. Um, so I get, I get what they're doing. Cause that seems to kind of be their like organization, organizational um, goal. Well, and that's been their organizational mantra for 20, 30 years at this point is just not being really bad. And this past year was as bad as they've been. Uh, in a very long time. And and obviously they, they want to crawl out of that. And I, I think you're doing it with younger players, you know, in, in years past, I think they were one of those teams that was making the more, you know, the, the obvious short-sighted move. It's like, yes, this will push you to the fifth or sixth seed in the East, but ultimately what are we really doing here? Um, so we're, we're seeing a, a little bit of a shift, I think in that mentality. And, you know, we don't know what Ben Matherin's ceiling is. We still don't really know exactly what Halliburton's ceiling is. He's had a weird start to his career. It's been mostly positive, and, you know, I, I think of those three, it's like Aiton is probably the guy whose path you, you feel like you know the most. But at worst, I mean, he's a really, really good starting center. You know, maybe he never develops into a multi-time all-star, but you're at least shoring up that position for the next four years. Uh, but again, I think the assumption as of now, at least, uh, is that the Phoenix Suns are going to match this offer sheet. Uh, and we'll likely find out. I, I would imagine they won't take this down to the 48th hour. Uh, no, no, I don't think so. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So let's talk Donovan Mitchell. Uh, there are odds up on the DraftKings Sportsbook uh, for the next NBA team that Donovan Mitchell will play a minute for. Uh, and the New York Knicks, unsurprisingly, the pretty heavy favorites at minus 200. The Heat are 4-1. to one. Uh, The Utah Jazz, his current team, uh, on, on the roster he is on, they are plus 550. Nets, 10-1. to one. The LA Lakers, 18-1. to one. And then you got a slew of teams between 30 and 50 to one, you know, Toronto, Philly, Dallas, Cleveland, the Clippers, um, you know, Mitchell, much like Kevin Durant, 
uh, is a player that you would think most of the league will at least take a look at, uh, look at possible scenarios. He's younger. Uh, there, there's a little more upside there. He, he wouldn't command quite as much as Durant, uh, even Durant being you know almost 34 years old. I think the difference in um, you know caliber of player here would, would push a Durant deal to, to be quite a bit more expensive. But we also just saw Rudy Gobert go for a pretty exorbitant price. And I think there are a lot of teams that would maybe place a higher value on Donovan Mitchell than they would Gobert given the difference in age and given the difference in skill set. Yeah, the Mitchell situation is interesting because he's about to turn 26. So he's in his prime. So he's still a young player. So if you're getting a young player back, you're probably going to want him to be like very young, like someone who's just drafted in the past two drafts. Otherwise, you're stacking picks. Um, you know, I think the, the Knicks being minus 200 is interesting just because that it it does seem like they're the front runner. That's why all the buzz has been around. But I'm seeing a lot of like RJ Barrett pushback. And if you're like, if you're Utah, can you do, like, would you do a deal with the Knicks where you do not give back RJ Barrett? Uh, I mean, I guess it just like, depends. Like, how much do you value getting RJ Barrett and two first round picks versus, you know, I, I don't know, like a either Julius Randle or, you know, you have to find filler somewhere. So, you know, the 48 contract. Uh, you'd have to just throw some pieces in along with like five first round picks. I, I don't know. I mean, we've, we've seen a lot of teams that just kind of say like, give us as many first round picks as you have. And oftentimes the initial reaction is that that team wins the trade, you know, it's, Oh wow. They're selling the farm for this guy. Uh, But it also feels like more often than not, those picks are not, they don't turn out to be quite as valuable as you think they are at the time of the trade. Yeah. That's my thought. Like I, I just, yeah. I feel like because if, if, the, if the Knicks are not giving up Barrett, they're probably giving up, you know, like the Fournier contract quickly top in picks. Right. Um, and I feel like if I'm Utah, I just can't go back. Like as, as much as you shouldn't necessarily care what the fans think, I think it's hard to be like, yeah, we trade Donovan Mitchell for like Emmanuel quickly and Obi Toppin. Um, yeah. And I so think if you're the Knicks, you're thrilled. If, if Utah likes those guys enough that, oh my God. that they, they don't have to include Barrett. I mean, look, I like, I like Obi Toppin. I, I like Emmanuel quickly. You you will not even think twice about trading those guys if you're getting Donovan Mitchell. No, exactly. Plus the picks. Because um, if you have if you have Brunson, Mitchell, Barrett, Randall, Robinson, you're a good team. You're a very good team. I don't know what the ceiling is on that, but it's good. I, as far as the other teams, like, you know, the Heat have been in there with the package for, like, Tyler Hero, um, you know, the Robinson contract and a bunch of picks. Like Tyler Hero's good. I just I don't know, man. He's had two bad playoffs in a row. Um, and I just would not be thrilled about like getting Tyler Hero back and him being like the focus of my rebuild. That's just it's a little it's just not that interesting to me, I guess. I, I don't know. I'd probably rather get that than Quickling and, and Toppin, but it, it I don't know. What do you think? Well, Tyler Hero is also having a baby this summer uh, oh, with, with yeah, a woman okay. who looks like a, an OnlyFans model. I mean, you have to consider that <laughs> as well. How's, how's that going to translate going from South Beach to uh, Salt Lake City? Well, I don't know. Well. I mean, I even though I think Hero's the better player right now, I think I would rather have Barrett if I was if I was Utah. And you know, if New if New York is not willing to include Barrett, I, I don't know. I mean, then it, then it's really going to be based around picks, right? Like there's no one else that, you know, quickly, those are nice pieces. Like those guys are like, if they become, you know, if he becomes like a Jordan Clarkson type, you're thrilled about that. Um, you know, Barrett to me, it's like, I know he hasn't been that good, but there, there's still this hanging on to belief 
of, of what he could become, you know, in the future. I'm looking up his age right now. He's just turned 22 uh, last month. Uh, I, I don't know. I, he's not that much younger, I guess, than Donovan Mitchell, but I, I think you're, you're at least pitching a new start. I think you're pitching a guy who could do a little bit more in terms of all around ability. Whereas Donovan Mitchell is, you know, very much a, a scorer, a drive and kick guy. I think Barrett has better potential on the defensive end. He's got better size. Um, I, I think it's more interesting to look at it though, from the Knicks perspective of if you were the Knicks, would you be willing to include RJ Barrett in this deal? And then the other thing is like, why did the, why did the Knicks sign Jalen Brunson when everybody knew it was a distinct possibility that Donovan Mitchell could hit the open market and that the Knicks are going to be one of those teams that would be in position. Donovan Mitchell's from New York. Like, cause you know, the thing is, even if you don't have to give up Barrett, I don't love going Brunson, Mitchell, RJ Barrett as, as kind of your three man backcourt. I mean, I'm, I'm okay with that just because it's a, it's such a talent upgrade uh, compared to like Fournier and quickly and Grimes. Um, But yeah, if I'm the Knicks, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I like Donovan Mitchell. I guess your, your, your question is like, where are we going? If, if Donovan Mitchell's our best player, Brunson's our second best player. Um, Randall is third. I mean, it's, you know, you'll be a good team. If you think you can get someone else, then I think you do it. But I, I understand the hesitation. I'm not even a Barrett guy and I, I wouldn't be a hundred percent sure I would trade Barrett for, for Mitchell. Cause I, I think you could take maybe like a longer approach with it. If you're the Knicks or you, maybe should be doing that anyway. Like they should have been doing it for a while. Um, but it's, it's hard to find like other teams, you know, on this list, like it, the nets are in there, I think because of a possible KD situation, that doesn't make sense to me at all. Um, I, th- I think the nets and the Lakers are in there for potential, like three, four, five team trade scenarios where yeah. like Ben Simmons goes to Utah and somehow Donovan Mitchell ends up in Brooklyn. I mean, the Lakers one, I don't understand at all. I have no idea. You know, like, if the idea is that you could offer the same package for Mitchell that you're offering for Kyrie, I think there's a hundred percent chance that Utah could do better than Russell Westbrook, Taylor Horton Tucker, and two first round picks like that. That would seem like a, a terrible return for Donovan Mitchell based on what other players have been going for. Yeah. Right. And then you get farther down the list and it's like the Raptors. I don't know who I don't, I don't understand what they would give up the 76ers. You'd probably, you'd have to give up maxi, uh, which is a little intriguing at least. Um, even that one really I am good. very I am very intrigued by that one. I mean, you could you could try to dump the Tobias Harris contract, include Maxi and like three first round picks. I don't know. I mean, I like Maxi a lot. I, I think the gap between Mitchell and Maxi feels like it closed a decent amount this past year, but Mitchell is still on a on a for sure different level than Maxi. Although I don't know, Harden Mitchell together, I, I think is a an interesting yeah. combination to say the least. But it, it kind of goes back to your argument, which I agree with with the Knicks is you just want to get the talent in the door at some point. And if you have to figure it out after, uh, you know, we've seen teams both succeed and, and fail at that. Yeah. I think the appeal of keeping Maxi partially is that he, he makes like $4 million in two years. Like yeah. he, you're on, he's under team control for so long. He was the 21st pick. Like it's, you know, it's one of those situations. Um, and then after that, you're getting to like, it's just a lot of teams around the same, you know, like plus 3000 area. You're talking about the Mavericks, um, I don't really know what's ha- what would ha- be happening there. Cleveland, it's just it's just a mix of those kind of teams. Well, it's a unique situation because I don't think I don't think Utah is looking for expiring contracts, right? Like it's not a situation where they want to clear space and then sign a bunch of guys next summer. No. I think it's you know you want. I think this is going to be a mini version of what OKC is doing, and essentially 
Donovan Mitchell is their version of SGA, you know, where it's like, you're a little too good to keep on the roster, but you're also a little too old that we can't consider you a developmental piece. Um, right. So it, it really limits what, what these teams can offer. It's like, in, unless you have a blue chip young player that you're willing to put on the table, uh, it almost feels like it has to be a pick space package because how many teams, you know, have a, you know, the Raptors aren't putting Scotty Barnes on the table to get Donovan Mitchell. Would you trade? What about like Anthony Simons? Oh my God. I, yeah. Sign me up. I, although they signed him to an extension, so he might, he might be off the table for a little bit. I mean, if you could do Simons, I would do Simons in like two or three picks. I, I'm not really all that high on Simons. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not like particularly high on Simon. He had a really strong year, but I feel like that's the type of player and the type of situation yeah. where it's like Portland's kind of desperate. They want to win. They right. signed a guy whose money can pretty much match with Mitchell. Um, he's a clear upgrade. You kind of get rid of the risk of like, well, what if Simon's isn't the guy yeah. we hope he is? I, I feel like it's that specific kind of situation sure. that that he needs to end up in. Well, what, what Utah can offer next year is a situation where you could bring someone in and say, we're going to give you an opportunity to prove that you're better than you were at your previous stop. Be like, they're, they're a team that would bring in like Thunder James Harden, right? You know, which I, I yeah. think is kind of the Simon scenario where it's like, look, we're going to give you a year to be the man. And we think you can be better than you were. And you'll, you'll never really get a chance to prove this anywhere else. Um, you know, one, one team that I threw out, I was talking to, to Dre on the, the XM show today about this. I don't really know why Denver is all the way down at 60 to one, because if you're Utah, are you willing to take a swing on like the Michael Porter contract? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, you could say Jamal Murray, but I think Murray for Mitchell just feels like a wash. I don't know why either team would really do that. Um, but you know, the Porter piece is really interesting. It's, it would be a pretty huge plunge if you're Utah. I mean, if it works out, you know, maybe, maybe it's a really good trade. If it doesn't, um, you know, it kind of depends how many picks I, I guess Denver would be attaching in that scenario, but I mean, he, he kind of fits that mold of the, you know, high upside young player that you would, in theory, be searching for in a deal like this. Yeah, and, and Michael Porter, that's a good call because he, it's it's so early in the in the Jazz rebuild that if it just doesn't work out, it doesn't really kill you because his, his contract to be off the books in like three, four years anyway, you're still probably not going to be good yes. at that point. Right. And you have to meet the contract floor. Like at this point, they don't even, I don't even think they would care about the contract. I think the way it would kill you is, you know, you would obviously lose the trade in that scenario because the prime asset you're bringing back fails, but I, yeah. I mean, it, it's a possibility. No, it's a possibility. And I, I mean, I love, I love Donovan Mitchell in, in Denver. I love that combination because I think some people like his playmaking ability is still not, I, I you know, I'm not sure if that'll ever really, he's not a point guard. Right. So um, you can have him coming off of like cuts um from Jokic and um you know him and Murray uh, Jamal Murray would be really interesting I I mean I I'd love I'd love for the Nuggets to do that um uh and I would understand why Utah would, would consider that so it's, it's usually frowned upon or just not even considered a possibility for teams like Orlando or Houston or Detroit to to make a deal like this when you have you have a nice young piece in place you don't want to jumpstart your timetable too much and, and kind of you know, maybe risk stunting the development of someone like Kate Cunningham. But if you're Detroit, would you try to build something around Jaden Ivey? Uh, man, I don't think so. I, I don't think so because I think they're, I think the, the Pistons are still kind of on like a, they're a few years away still, I think from competing. I, I don't know. The, <laughs> The fact that they signed Bagley to a $30 million deal makes me feel like they are cool kicking the can down the road and just like getting 
continuing to get better draft picks. Um, I think I would hang on to Ivy and see what happens there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, because I, I feel like at the you know by the time the Pistons would get more guys to be good, Mitchell might be like twenty nine or thirty, and then his contract is up. Does he even want to be there? I don't know. I think you're right. I mean, it's it's intriguing just because you have Kate Cunningham in place, but this team, you know, it's not like swapping Ivy for Mitchell makes you the third best team in the East. I, I think they'd no. still be behind the eight ball considerably. Yeah, I think Charlotte is interesting. Not not like a ton of pieces there to trade. I think Dallas pairing Mitchell with Luca would be extremely fun, but I, Dallas has nothing to give up other than picks. Nothing. They have nothing. I yeah. I will I will say that the, the Detroit situation would have been fun if they got an Aiton. If they had gotten DeAndre Ayton somehow and then also flip for Mitchell, yeah. that would that would be intriguing. And that I could mm-hmm. I could at least get behind that, even though it's a little bit like it's kind of a hard acceleration. I couldn't I really couldn't complain about that. Um I do also think like some teams like Charlotte and Detroit who have a young player that they are extremely committed to. Like we want Cade Cunningham to be the face of the franchise. We want LaBella Ball to be the face of the franchise. I don't really necessarily want to bring a guy like Donovan Mitchell in who it wants to he wants to be that guy he's older and he wants to be that guy and you're kind of taking that away from the guys that you drafted i feel like that would put a bad taste in the mouths of like the those guys let's pivot to rookie of the year odds and we can use this to talk about summer league um you know i, I feel like we everybody at this point knows the major takeaways from summer league like the top six picks i think have all looked really good to varying degrees um, you know, we saw Bancaro get pulled after two games. Ivy you know, tweaked his ankle and, and missed the last game. We'll, we'll see if he plays today. Um, you know, Holmgren and Jabari Smith, I, I thought once Bancaro was sat down, I, I thought maybe OKC and Houston would follow that lead and, and shut those guys down. And maybe they will at some point. But Holmgren, Smith, Murray, uh, Matherin, who, who was actually just shut down today, we've gotten extended looks at most of these guys. And I think one of my biggest takeaways so far is that each of the top six guys – Again, they don't all look like superstars, but they've, they've all made positive impressions. I, I don't think any of them, you know, you come out of Summer League any more concerned than you would have been uh, coming out of the draft. Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I saw some bad moments from Jabari Smith. I probably saw his worst stretch he played when he played OKC. Um, yeah. And he just looked, he just looked like a stiff. Like he couldn't get past anybody. He would just drive and the guy would cut him off and he'd just pull up for 14 feet instead of like passing. Um, so I, I caught a bad Smith game, but, um, I, under, I understand the process for Jabari Smith, but of those guys, I think he's probably looked the worst. Not that that's necessarily fair. Um, kind of impressed by Keegan Murray. Big time. Um, Big time. yeah, that was, he, he plays like a, like a veteran, like an NBA veteran, uh, lots of tricks up his sleeve plays with really good pace, um, stuff like that. But if you're talking rookie of the year, most of the time, I'm just looking at guys who, I'm looking at like team context, like which of these guys is most likely to be the man on his team. So if you go down the list, it's Chet Holmgren. It's still SGA's team and Giddy's going to be handling the ball a lot. So that would worry me a little bit. Bancaro is like, I think he's going to be the man in Orlando. Like Markel Fultz is there. I call Anthony. It was nice. Franz Wagner had moments, but like, it's not, I don't think it's close. Like, I think we'll see I think if Markel Fultz allows him to, to control yeah. the ball. <laughs> I, I think out of all these guys, like these top six guys, Bancaro is truly in the best position to just take over. Like I'm, I'm the number one option on this team. 
almost all the time. I'm gonna have the ball. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna touch the ball the most. Um, so I think I think if I was betting right now, my money would be on Bancaro. I'm with you. Four to one. I think it's really good value. I was talking with James on Tuesday, and he's like, "Look, as soon as you get to Vegas, go to the sports book, put a hundred bucks on Holmgren and a hundred bucks on Bancaro, and no matter who wins, you're gonna profit." Uh, because right now it, it does feel like it's going to be a two-man race. And I will guarantee you that during the regular season, that's not the case. You know, whether it's Ivy or Smith or Murray or Matherin or whoever, somebody else, at least one other guy, uh, is going to make this a competition. But I, I think Bancaro makes the most sense. I think he's in the classic rookie of the year position where he's going to be he's going to be in the best spot to put up what will likely be empty counting stats. But ultimately, that's what this award is about. I, I think Holmgren to me, will likely be the better fantasy player. I, I think he could average something like, I don't know, 14, eight rebounds, uh, you know, two, three assists, one and a half steals, one and a half blocks. But if Bancaro averages 19 points and nine rebounds, people will just look at that and, and that'll be the deciding factor. Um, you know, with, with Ivy, I, I think he's going to be fine long-term. I don't see him being like a major, major impact guy uh, in terms of, you know, I worry about the efficiency. Um, I, I think most rookie guards in general, especially ones that have major questions about their jump shot tend to go really up and down uh, their first year. So I, I wouldn't really think about betting him at five to one. I, I think I'd need a little bit uh, higher odds, but Keegan Murray at plus seven fifty, based on what we've seen. Um, you know, I, I think you, you laid out a pretty good scouting report. He's basically doing exactly what he was doing at Iowa last year, where like it, nothing was really super impressive. Like he's not, you know, he's not going to break you down and do a series of dribble moves. He just, he just gets buckets. I, I don't know how else to put it. You know, like he'll, he'll get a rebound, all of a sudden he's, you know, going two on one in transition and he's overpowering guys. He's finishing at the rim. Uh, he looks super, super polished. Yeah. Extremely polished. I, I think the issue for him will be what's his role um, yeah. in Sacramento. I, 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 he'll probably start. I, I, I don't know why he wouldn't start uh, at power forward um, or small forward. It doesn't really matter between him and Harrison Barnes, but I think he's going to have a really hard time um between you know fox fox is so established there demonis sabonis obviously handles the ball a ton you have to have sabonis handling the ball or else it hardly makes sense for him to be out there um you know monk is going to be chucking off the bench mitchell's going to want touches i mean i think he'll play really well and i think he'll have a good year and maybe that's partially because he won't be forced to have the ball in his hands more than is he's comfortable with but there's a chance that he ends up being you know like the third best guy in this class fourth best guy in this class depending on how you feel about Jabari Smith um it's just it, it could take longer and the numbers might not be as like staggering right away yeah I've been impressed watching him in Vegas of how comfortable he looks more on the wing like I, I kind of thought he was a true four and I wouldn't say he was stiff but you know he's uh he's kind of robotic at times in his movements but he, I think he looks smoother he looked really comfortable operating like out of the corner on the wing, you know, not a guy you're going to post up or anything like that, but that's, that was part of his game at Iowa. Like I, I think if you didn't have any context at all and you were watching him, you would almost say he was more of a three than a four with how they've used him in Vegas. So I, I think that's really encouraging that he could play both of those forward spots uh, along with Harrison Barnes. And I mean, yeah, in the starting lineup, he might be the fifth option because they also added Kevin Herter, who, who's a, a pretty solid ad at shooting guard, but this team has no depth whatsoever you know outside right. of I guess Malik Monk and Davion Mitchell in the backcourt I mean beyond Murray and Barnes you're getting to Trey Lyles Chemezi Metu uh you know Josh Jackson is technically still on the roster like I, I think there's a chance he could play 30 minutes a game and this is a team that leans really heavily on its top seven 
Yeah, I I think they would do that because they're trying to win games. So it's like you just got to play the best guys who are out there and the guys who are capable of playing NBA minutes. And as of right now, it looks like he's that guy. Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, what do you you know? Jeremy Lamb's always hurt. He's on the roster, so yeah, I think he he could play. I don't know, he could play thirty five minutes a game. It's possible he leads the rookies in minutes because you know you never know about like you never know about OKC down the stretch. You know they're not they don't want to necessarily push these guys um late in the season anything like that so i don't think it'd be out of the question for him to be seen like close to 35 minutes a game i'm having a hard time projecting what his stat line is going to look like i I think he can get somewhere between like nine and 14 points a game i I think he'll be an average rebounder for his position i don't see him doing a ton as an assist man and I, i think that's where he's kind of similar to harrison barnes i mean harrison barnes has averaged no more than or for his first like eight years in the league, he never topped 2.2 assists per game. Um, I, I think Murray, you know, he's, a, he's an okay passer, but I, I could see him being a really low assist guy. And, you know, the defensive numbers, I, I think will come and go, you know, like he could be like you know, 0.7 steals and 0.5 blocks, something like that. So I, I think fantasy wise, that'll ultimately determine how useful he is, but I think he's going to be a really reliable points rebounds and, and should have a decent uh, field goal percentage. And then, I mean, with how comfortable he's looked at summer league, he's got five straight 20 point games. He's shooting the three. Well, he, he took 23 pointers in his first two games in Vegas. I mean, it's looking like he could potentially be a, a high volume three point shooter as well. I think the efficient, the efficiency for him is, is one of his main like uh, points here. Like for fantasy, if he was, he was 64% true shooting at Iowa last year, which is absurd for a wing um, or a forward. Yeah. So um Really encouraging stuff out of him. I was I, I see now why people were like very hyped about him, and I right I, I didn't know a ton about him before the draft. Like I, I was a little surprised. Yeah, you know, people were hyping up like Jay and Ivy in that spot for the Kings, yeah. but I, now I, I I understand why they went with Murray. Yeah, it, it certainly looks like the right pick as of now. Um, a little disappointing that we only got to see like seven minutes of Shade and Sharp. Uh, same story with Dyson yeah. Daniels. Both of those guys went out early with injuries and were ruled out right away. Uh, beyond that, I mean, it's been, it's been a struggle for Johnny Davis. Uh, he has not looked good whatsoever, uh, in Vegas, a lot of inefficient nights. He just, just doesn't really stand out. Um, but you know, it is just summer league, but still not, not super encouraging. Um, you know, Agbaji in Cleveland has looked fine. Uh, the big guys during Mark Williams, they've looked okay. Uh, we haven't seen Jeremy Sohan at all. He was in COVID protocol, so he, he didn't play at all in Vegas. Uh, and then EJ Liddell, uh, early second round pick went down. Uh, with a torn ACL. And and that was a guy, I mean, ultimately we're not going to make this an EJ Liddell podcast, but as a, I mean, he was like one of the oldest players drafted a uh, big time producer, like really insane numbers at the college level this past year at Ohio state. And I, I think a lot of people thought he could step in and, and be like the seventh or eighth man for new Orleans, but that'll be on hold now for at least a year. Yeah. The, I, you know, the guy I know most about here is Johnny Davis. I'm a little confused because it, it really like, the vibe on draft night and kind of right now, it seems like they want him to play point guard. I'm not really sure what's going on there. Um, yeah. Well, I think on draft night, didn't Woj, when Woj tipped the pick, he said something like Washington has its point guard next to Brad Beal. Yeah, I think so. And then I think that was on the broadcast as well. And I have not viewed Johnny Davis like a point guard. Um, and so I'm kind of confused on what's happening there. I'm not sure he'll win the starting job. I think him, between him and Monty Morris, I think that's like a completely wide open competition. So I guess it's possible he comes off the bench. He, he, he might be part of the bench mob 
you know, him, Kispert, Avdia, Hachimura, and Gafford, I guess, as like a bench squad. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I, I'm not really loving what the Wizards are doing here. Um, they're really, when you look around the league, there, there are not that many teams that have like a pretty ugly roster or, or depth chart or future outlook at this point. Like even, even the quote unquote bad teams, like everybody has somebody that you're excited about. And, and obviously, you know, Brad Beal should be better than last year. That that's an asset. Um, but this, this team just feels like it's, it's built to finish ninth in the Eastern conference. <laughs> yeah. And there's just, you know, outside of Davis, who again is off to a, a bit of a rough start in Vegas um, outside of him, it's like, who else do you look at on this roster and say like, man, in three years, can you, I can't believe how good this guy's going to be. Like, you know, I mean, there are guys who can improve, uh, you know, Kuzma, um, you know, we still don't really know much about like Denny Avdia, but I mean, if you're counting on guys like that to be your saviors, uh, you're not in the greatest position. No, it kind of just feels like a bunch of guys right now. Like it's just like a bunch of names thrown on a team. And I mean, like they have a ceiling because of like Beal and Porzingis. Or maybe I should say they yeah, they probably more of like a floor because of Beal and Porzingis. Um, but even Porzingis' injury issues throw a wrench into things. And um, they are, I don't think they're going to be a fun team. <laughs> or that good. I, no, that's the thing. I, I think they're going to be, they're going to struggle and it's not going to be a fun struggle. Like Detroit's probably not going to win that many games this year, but it's going to be okay. They're going to be really fun to watch. You're going to be able to watch the progression of those young guys, like it, the wizards feel like a team that the roster does not match the goals of the organization. No, not at all. All right, man. We'll keep this one relatively short. Uh, appreciate you taking the time today. And we are just a couple days away from, from reuniting in Las Vegas. Uh, we'll have plenty of content coming out of that. We're going to be doing uh, our annual Las Vegas NBA fantasy draft on Tuesday. That's kind of the unofficial start uh, of draft season for us. And we'll make sure to post those full results and, very much looking forward to seeing you out there, dude. You too. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.